Hey, welcome to Jenny. I'm Jen Cooper, the creator of the digital magazine, Jennifer, where we're creating a new kind of media, one that challenges how women have been seen and spoken about in magazines for far too long. Are you ready to step into a new era with us? Let's go. Let's start with a quick check-in. Before we get to anything else, how are you doing? How are you feeling? I know it's mid-January and that uh, usually causes feelings of depression or melancholy or ennui. And think in years past, that's how I felt, but this year has been completely different. It's been, uh, <laughs> it's been actually pretty amazing and I, I'm really enjoying it. And I think three things happened. One, I started an estrogen patch last month. It was a complete game changer. I went from having all of these hot flashes, you know, my mind was racing more. And then I went on the patch and, you know, within a few days, I was, I, I just felt so much better. So, so that's first. Secondly, I did one of these self-worth challenges. You know how all the coaches around this time of year are doing these challenges and then they get you to enroll in their, their class. Well, my, one of my closest friends and I did one together and it was, it was lovely. Um, I did not end up enrolling in the class or in the program, but it was just a really nice boost. You know, sometimes you just need a, you need a reframe, you know, it just gives you, it makes you every once in a while, you got to stop and realize who you are. You are amazing. Look at all of the things you've been through and you are here. Woo. That felt so good. That felt so great. But I think the real thing that happened, the real magic that pulled this all together, put this good feeling and like hyperdrive, this confidence, is that I did dry January. You know, I've never done it before, but what got me to do it this year was an essay that our wellness uh, contributor, Christy Krako, wrote in the January issue of Jennifer. And if you haven't checked out this issue yet, it is amazing. Go to jennifermag.com, get yourself a copy. It's digital, so you can read it anywhere. This essay that Christy wrote reframed dry January in this way that was so compelling to me. Normally, dry January, you know, they, it's all about the health benefits, which are real, by now, I think we all know that there's really no safe amount or healthy amount, I guess I should say, for women. Basically, you know, your doctor wouldn't recommend it. Christy framed Dry January as a curiosity challenge. And that's what got me. That's the thing. I wanted to get to know me. Before we get into my conversation with Christy, who I adore, I want to do a couple things. One, I want to apologize in advance for using outdated language. You'll hear it. And two, I want to give you a heads up about what we talk about because we are just going to dive right into grief. It will make sense in a moment why we do that. Are you ready? Let's go. How are you doing today? How are you doing this morning? Pretty good. It's the, it's the anniversary of my dad's death today, so I don't know. Oh, Christy. Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. You know what I mean? It's like one of those days where I'm like, should I be just on my couch crying? Or should I be out? Do like, I don't know. So I'm, uh, I'm here. Oh, Christy. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Thank Were you, you. close with him? Close-ish. I mean, I've lived apart. I've lived in, you know, Eastern U.S. and my parents live in Western Canada. I've lived here for, God, over 20 years. So, I mean, as close as you can be when you live on two separate sides of a continent, but. Yeah. Yeah. So How long, what, what number is this? What anniversary? First. Oh, let's just take a moment. Cause damn. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I haven't talked to anybody in my family yet. Cause they're all out in the West. So it's early ish there. Yeah. So, yeah. so in college, I took a thanatology course. Cause I had yeah. always had this fear of death and I have this habit of trying to run towards the things that I fear as if I can somehow build right, yeah, up yeah. this armor around me. Yeah. So I was like, well, I have this intense fear of death, irrational. So I'm going to take this class and yeah, I'll see, you know, I'll build up my, my reserves. Right. So I took the class and every time, I mean, we had the Elizabeth Kubler Ross. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. It's somewhat outdated at this point, but you know, that was what we were using back then. And I remember he would assign Dana. What was his name? Dr. Dana. I want to say Dana Carvey. That's not right. <laughs> That's not the death and dying teacher. <laughs> But he would assign these chapters. Yeah. And every time I would go to open the book, didn't matter if it was morning, noon, night, if I had coffee, if I had what well, if I was well rested, didn't matter. I would fall asleep. And I was like, wow, that is some serious protective mechanism. But I do remember, and it's true, like that first year is you have to go through all the all the anniversaries. So this is a big one. So it's it's been a weird year for sure. I've had lots of other shit go on in that. Like my, my sister-in-law died three months after my dad. So it's, it's just been that year where I lost a boyfriend in that year. Like it's just been a really fucked up year. I don't know what, I don't know what I'm supposed to be grieving. So I'm just all of it. Yeah. And at weird times it shows up in weird times and places. So I, and you have no control over it. So I've just given into that. And today, right now I feel okay. Like I'm like, okay, I feel good. Well, then don't let me bring you down. Don't let my projection of how I think people would feel bring you down. Well, that's the thing with grieving. It's so, it's so different. It's for everybody. So, and it, despite this five stages, there's no set way to do it. So I don't know. I had had an appointment with my therapist this afternoon. Again, I was like, should I talk to my therapist on this day? I don't really know. there's no no manual right I have to talk to her this week anyhow it might as well be on the day of my dad's death I don't know so yeah all right let's so so that's a big sidebar that's okay (laughs) we can we roll with it man that's how life is and that's one of the things I appreciate the most about being in this stage of life is that you roll with the punches right Cause you understand you've had enough experience now under your belt. You're like, yeah, shit happens all and the time, just all the time. It's yep. nonstop. Yep. So, um, you speaking of shit, non-stopping, <laughs> yep. are you, are you an empty nester right now? My son's a senior in high school. Okay. So you're almost there. Almost there, but you know, he goes, he goes back to back and forth to his dad. So, and my kids have all done that for the last six years anyhow. So I've, you know, for two weeks out of every month I have no kids. That's just the way we decided to set it up. So I don't know. Part of me feels like, am I, but I, I know it's going to be so different when he does go. Cause like now he, like he dropped in the other day. Like I was just telling him last time, like next year, there's no dropping in. Cause I'm moving. He's, I, you know, it's like, what I, things are hitting me now. This, this is 2024 should be just as crazy as 2023 for me. But I think, yeah, it's that stage of life where you're just like, 
it's not slowing down. You know, what's interesting is it's just full of transitions. And I know that all of life is full of transitions, but this is like all of them all at once, because a lot of people are dealing with their parents aging or dying, their kids moving out. I have friends who just had babies who are in their forties. And so it's all of the transitions all at once. It's a lot. It's heavy. It's heavy. So, which is interesting because you're deciding to go through all of these transitions sober. You're choosing to do all of this sober. Um, in fact, one of the first articles you wrote for Jennifer magazine was something, uh, it was the industrial wellness complex is knocking on our door. Here's why we aren't answering. And so here's what you wrote. I'm 53. I'm divorced. I'm sober. I'm not supposed to love myself, but I do. I'm not supposed to accept myself for who I am. I'm supposed to want to change my appearance to regain my youth. I'm supposed to want to get rid of the laugh lines and the furrowed brow. I'm supposed to want surgery and at least one of my body parts so I can look better. I've seen brilliant, beautiful women beat themselves up over not being able to hold themselves to a rigid intermittent fasting schedule or feel like a failure because they were sick and had to miss a day of their fitness calendar. In so many instances, we blindly follow gurus and influencers instead of slowing down and asking ourselves what we truly do need. But one thing that we're very rarely asked to do is to slow down and remember who we already are. That to me hits so hard. It lands in a way that, you know, we're talking about the grief that you've been, you're going through a a bunch of grieving processes all at the same time. It's very complicated, all these feelings. And like you've mentioned, there's no one way to do it. There's no right way to grieve. I feel like that's, that's one of the themes. There's a right way to do life. It's, I don't know if there is, but something that you do is uh, you, you really practice radical self-love and that's something that I hear in this. So what right now in this time of just chaos, are you leaning into that you love about yourself? What are you doing right now? How are you handling all this crap? Do you know I'm handling a lot of stuff just by going inwards, just by really going inwards and being super present and asking myself, like, what feels true right now? Because I am sober and I don't have like that substance to rely on to just numb out to escape. And I get why, why people use it. It's not just alcohol, it's social media scrolling, it's Netflix, it's food, I mean, it's whatever you use to escape and sort of make yourself feel a little bit like where you don't have to have all the feelings all the time. But I just really, you know, being super present with myself and and who I am and where I am in my life and my relationships with people in my life and and what feels kind of like, what's the next right step for me? I think that that's just what's getting me through my days. Like right now, I just, I, I can't be on social media right now. I'm just overwhelmed with people lecturing me about how I'm supposed to be responding to the events in the world. And I can't take it because I've had so much of my own personal grief this past year. And I live my life in the way that makes sense to me. So to be lectured by people who I randomly kind of know in my social media feed, you're just like, what? Like, I can't, I can't, I'm doing the things in my life that make sense to me. And I'm doing things and responding to things my way. And I don't believe I have to broadcast that for everybody to see to be validated I think that that's a big thing is I you know validate myself I validate my choices I've had to do that because I am single I don't have anybody to sort of 
um, run things by. It's, you know, been a lot of me just trying to figure shit out on my own. So um, I think that's just me, you know, and I a lot of journaling, a lot of sketchbooking, a lot of just processing stuff in real time and trying not to let that stuff build up till it gets to that point where you just, where you don't know what to do. I don't know if that answered your question, but that's kind of what I, where I am right now with just trying to process and process and be present too. not, not sort of be living, you know, six weeks, two months, a year ahead, like just really, truly being present in this moment here today with what I have and who I am. You touched on a couple of things that are thinking about social media and the lecturing. There's a lot of grief in the world right now, and there's always grief in the world always. And I'm not excusing what happens. I'm just saying that for each of us, like, so part of it, I see a lot of people lecturing. I think part of that is the social media landscape, right? We all have to teach somebody something. Typically where I see it, and maybe it's because of the worlds that I'm in and my focus, but I think we expect women or people who are socialized as women or, or whatever to always be teaching, to always have something of value, to always be steering culture in a way that that feels very like I don't know it feels like too much we're asking too much of people we're asking too much of women I I see it a lot with um you know men get to do this and men get to do that and this person gets to do this and this person we nobody ever challenges them I'm like well maybe we could learn something from that (laughs) you know like maybe we could learn just a little bit of something like that so but yeah I've been I've been having that feeling too which is part of the reason that I wanted to start the podcast is to actually talk to people because social media flattens conversations, right? Yeah, absolutely. Even though there, you know, there is like the commenting, whatever you can't get in a real discussion. You can't see people's face, facial gestures, what they're doing with their hands, how they're receiving your information, the inflection of their voice. I mean, that all goes into how we are cued to communicate as humans. And I think that that's missing from social media for sure and it's just you know it hasn't been a really good place for my mental health for a while um you know I do go on there to try to promote my work obviously I'm trying to reach women who do need help with sobriety and exploring their relationship with alcohol but I've just really been so cognizant of like at what cost like at what cost to me is it you know is this a place that I that I want to be and you know I try to go back to I think I I've been on Facebook for 15 years or some crazy uh, a number yeah. of years. I'm like, mm-hmm. what? And I'm, you know, trying to go back to remember how did I communicate with people before Facebook came along? Like I had people in all over the world I communicated with. How did I do that? So trying to come back to some of that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And you have maybe a dozen really good, true, strong relationships as opposed to 1,200, 1,500 fake relationships with people who don't really care about me, which is fine. But I think that that's just that piece that's been missing it. You know, like when you're lonely, you know, sure, you're scrolling Instagram, but it, you're not getting any sort of the, the, the nurturing or the interaction with people that you're really craving. So you leave that feeling empty and usually feeling shittier than you... And you went there in the first place, you know, whether it's somebody posting a picture of their beautiful vacation with their perfect family, or it's lately, you know, like those political things that just get to you, you don't know what's going to hit you. Yeah, the thing that I, there are all these people on social media that I have basically a superficial relationship with. Yeah. 
That's how almost all of us are. And it's really interesting to me. They don't care about me, but they do want to control me. Yeah. (laughs) Like you don't know, like you don't, you don't know. And that's the thing. It's like social media flattens the relationships. Yeah. And yeah. And you only see that one part of that person. You don't know what, I don't know what they do with the rest of their time. You know, if they're posting five, 10 times a day. I don't know what they do with the rest of their, their time. They don't know what they do, what I do with the rest of my time. So there's that disconnect. And I think a lot of us are really, really lonely. And that's why I think when you look, especially post pandemic and the increase of alcohol use amongst women is because we are really, really lonely. And we're having more and more things piled on our shoulders. Like, you know, we all had to become teachers during the pandemic on top of our job. So alcohol use for sure became that thing. So we're sitting on our couches because we're still sort of stuck in those things, sitting on our couches, scrolling social media, drinking a bottle of wine, or we're watching Netflix or we're, you know, our kids are next to us, but not, we're not really present. Or maybe our partner's next to us, but again, we're not present with that person. And that alcohol use is just sort of keeping us in this bubble wrap of, and I get it because it's, you know, it's helping to regulate your nervous system, but it's not a healthy way to regulate your nervous system. I mean, I know there's, there's like alcoholism, which is something, um, you know, Matthew Perry, who died a few months ago, a lot of his clips were resurfacing on social media. And one, he's talking with, I don't know, some dude on some show who's like, right clearly an a-hole blaming Matthew for the alcoholism. Now, sometimes in my interviewer mind, I'm like, well, maybe he was just giving him something to push back against, but he did come across as like an a-hole. In the interview, this guy is asking or basically blaming Matthew for drinking, not being able to stop. And Matthew Perry says, I have a disease, alcoholism. So my body has basically an allergic reaction to alcohol in a weird way that it needs to consume more and more and more and more. That is probably different than saying gray drinking or drinking to change your mood. I mean, there are, so there are multiple levels and multiple layers here. And I do understand that a a lot of people do self-medicate. Yeah. And alcohol is alcohol. The word alcoholic and alcoholism is a really outdated term. It's alcohol use disorder. Ah, sorry. Thank you for teaching. That's okay. No, but it's a spectrum and it starts out fun and social. And, you know, remember the first few times you were drinking? Yeah, it's fun and social and it's fun until all of a sudden it isn't. And anybody who picks up a glass of wine or a cocktail or whatever has the capacity to end up with a serious problem because it is an addictive substance. It's not like milk or water. that It's pretty neutral. You know what I mean? Like it is an addictive substance. So it changes your brain chemistry and it changes your tolerance and it rewires your neural pathways. And I don't know all the science behind it, but yeah, anybody who's on that spectrum has the capacity at one time or another. And it can be like, just because of life circumstances changing, like you get laid off, you get divorced. That's when my drinking ramped up was when I got divorced because I had a lot of time without my kids at home and they were at their dad's and I was feeling sad, depressed, a little anxious. So yeah, sure. I'll do some self-medicating. And then I noticed, I was like, wow, this is going in a direction I don't want it to go in. And I have two choices. I knew moderation wasn't for me because 
Um, I tried that in the past. So I was like, I could either, you know, just get off using alcohol or, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to end up in a place where I'm not going to want to be. I had that choice. I always talk about like sobriety is really a privileged choice because you get to make that choice as opposed to having a court mandated AA or rehab or something like there's that choice that like, yeah, I get to, I get to choose for my health to step off this crazy treadmill that I'm on and, and try to live my life a different way. Yeah. So there's something that I'm hearing here that is making a connection for me. It's this idea of how you approach your work and this idea of radical self-love calling back what you said. The one thing we're very rarely asked to do is slow down, remember who we already are. And so there's that radical self-love that says, I love me enough to know that I'm doing something that I don't want to be doing right. Cause like, there's like this voice in the back of the head, probably at that point, like you said, you're like, I don't like what's going on here. And to also trust yourself to handle it, to trust that you can handle, you know, depending on your, your mental bandwidth and also trust yourself to know if you need help. Yeah. Trust yourself to know you need help and then reach out and figure out where to find that help. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's something interesting. Uh, I'm wondering if you can talk about this idea of loneliness that we're all experiencing. I mean, Americans, I, I don't have the exact figure in front of me, but just Americans overwhelmingly are in this. We're lonely. Yeah. We're feeling bad collectively, all of us. And, and we're a very lonely country. We're a very lonely people. The intersection between understanding that we want a different option, trusting ourselves that uh, it's not good for us, but why, why should I, there's something here and I don't know what it is. And maybe you, I'm hoping you can speak to it, or maybe I'm just not making the right connections, but this idea of being lonely Mm-hmm. and alcoholism, and then asking for help, reaching out, not having to do it alone. Can you talk about that? Like the the power in that? Yeah, well, I think, I feel like drinking, you know, starts out social and fun. And then sort of when it starts to go into like that danger zone where it's like, ooh, I'm, you know, drinking on my couch by myself a little too much. You're disconnected. You're disconnected from yourself. That's who you start to disconnect from first when you're drinking too much. You start to disconnect from yourself, the things you love to do, the things you used to do. It's just sort of all about like, oh, it's five o'clock. I'm going to stop at the wine store on the way home. And instead of going home and maybe going for a run or, you know, running around the yard with your kids, you pour yourself your first glass of wine. So you're disconnecting from all of that. Then you disconnect from your family a little bit more. Like, you know, maybe your kids want to go out, drive to a playground after dinner, but you can't because, you know, you've already had maybe two glasses of wine by that point. So it's like, you know, no kids go in the backyard or go play a video game or whatever. You're disconnecting those relationships. Your partner gets thrown in that mix. If you have a partner gets thrown into that mix too, because it's become like, you know, we're drinking on the couch or we're drinking in the backyard or we're drinking at our neighbors. And you just start to disconnect from the world because you're not involved in issues. And I, I get it in, in some level, you're you're protect, trying to protect yourself from all the stuff that's going on. So you're sitting, mm. you know, that alcohol is that bubble wrap from like world events or community events or things that are going on. So the process of reaching out for help is really just that connection and that vulnerability of like, you know what, I can't do this by myself. 
I am really having a hard time trying to raise my kids and work and look after the house and worry about larger things. Like I can't do this all by myself, you know, so here I am, you know, please help me. And that's where you sort of start to reconnect. You know, you start again, reconnecting with yourself first, figuring out who you are and then reconnecting with kids, family, partners, community, community, all that stuff. And what I kind of went through, that's how I think the process goes. Yeah. I think there are some studies that show that we heal faster and more deeply in community. You know, when I work with women, when they come to me, they are bringing shame. They are bringing judgment. They Mm. are bringing a lot of heavy emotions because of the weird cultural ideas we have around drinking and what it means about the person. Like you were talking about Matthew Perry, like, wow, you must be really weak. Wow. You must not have your shit together. If you're drinking a bottle of wine a night. Wow. It's the, you know, the individual who has the problem, not the addictive substance. So they come to me, yeah, there's lots of shame. And just, I think just peeling that and having someone to talk to just, and you only need one person. I mean, of course, it's great if you can have more people, but that first person that believes you, that's like, I get what you're going through because I went through that same thing, starts to remove some of that shame and that judgment and guilt and all the things we bring to it. And just knowing that it's okay to put that stuff down. You don't have to carry that that bag of emotions and crap on our back anymore. We can put it down and let ourselves sort of be present from this moment forward. So I think that that's a big piece of um, why asking for help and being in community with other people can really help fast forward healing a hundred percent. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm always, not always, but one of the things I think about a lot is the conflict that we have. It's basically the conflict isn't necessarily even with ourselves. It's with the system, the American system of one person doing it all. We are a very shame driven society. We see that with our politicians. We see that with our media, which is something that I'm and we all at Jennifer Magazine, you included, are trying to unlink, untether this idea that of shame, you know, controlling us, which I think is another reason that I just am so uh, over social media and the way in which we use it. Yeah. I think you you can look and you can see the, the feet of the woman, you know, she has four kids. They're all blonde hair, blue eyed. Here they are in the ocean frolicking and you can't get your shit together. Like it, it, that is just that extra layer. You're like, what's my problem? You know, like you start to sort of compare, you, you can't help it because that's part of that human nature. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we look at like adults that have a hard time with social media. And then you, you have to wonder as a mother, I try, try to be so cognizant of what my kids are going through on yeah. social media because- Sometimes as an adult with all my coping things and all the knowledge I have and all the education, it still gets to me sometimes. I sometimes look at my kids and I'm like, oh my God, what is happening here? So I think that, um, yeah, I feel like there needs to be an awakening. Yeah. I just had this conversation with a friend. We've been friends for 16 years. Um, We both started companies together. We came of age together in the entrepreneurial world. And both of our first companies, we uh, relinquished and gone on. She went into fine art. I went into what I'm doing now, (laughs) publishing, writing, production. And she was, she and I were, were talking, we were catching up after years of not like, we've been online friends, but not like, like this, you know, like talking, talking. 
and she was feeling it too. And we're both the same age. And she was, we had this exact same conversation. She said that she was feeling so like drawn into these things that were completely taking away from her work, her time, her feeling of sense of self. She was starting to go down this drain of like feeling awful. She was getting yelled at from all these different sides. And she is a good person who has her entire life. She has dedicated to creating beauty in the world in like a very thoughtful way and celebrating her culture and her community. And she said, I am getting swept up in this and I am doing this thing that I tell my kids not to do because she's got three boys and she's constantly like trying to teach them, you know, don't get like caught up in this. But meanwhile, as an adult, a full grown woman, (laughs) she is getting caught up in it. And I, and I understand that. I thought that I would be, sometimes I think, oh, I should be better at this by my age. Right. I'm not, I'm just as sensitive as I was. I still get caught up in things and I'm like, oh gosh, I need to, I need to practice a little bit more of what I preach. (laughs) It's just about setting those boundaries for ourselves and really reinforcing them. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, what am I willing? And I think sometimes that's the the, the benefit of being, I'm in my fifties. So I think that's a benefit of being in my fifties sometimes is that I don't need to be involved in this. This is not good for me. What do I want to spend the I mean, all of us really, nobody knows when we're going to take our last breath. We have no idea. We like to pretend that we're going to live until our 80s and our 90s. And maybe we will. And hopefully we'll be in good health until those that day. But we don't know. So I think there just has to be that willingness of like, what am I really willing to let into my life? And, and how do I want to live this day, this hour, this minute, this, you know what I mean? This year, like, what do I really want to bring into my life? And what do I want to cut out of my life? And I get to make those decisions. And if people want to judge me, if they want to try to shame me, that's their issue. And I really just have to let that go. And that's been a been a big part of my growth over the last five years, for sure, since I got sober, because I think when I got sober, just a lot of those sort of false friendships fell away. You know, they were just the women I went out for, you know, girls night or, or whatever. They weren't really good friends. So just having that clarity and like, who is really worthy of my time? Because we, we were talking earlier just about that bandwidth, like I I can't do it all. And I need to look after myself and I need to still be involved in my, you know, my kids are 20 and 17, but I still am involved in their life, of course. So it's a lot. So I think, yeah, just having those, those boundaries and really reinforcing them and and knowing that those boundaries are there for your growth and to you know, protect you and to bring joy in your life. Really, I think, you know, boundaries can be really about just bringing joy into your life. So the one thing that's really interesting to me that I see is that the people who are struggling the most with this are the people who are already good people. And they have this fear somewhere in the back of their mind that they are bad people. That means that they are constantly thinking about it. They are constantly assessing. These are very aware people who care deeply. They're the ones who are worrying about it. They're not the ones who probably should be, (laughs) you know, like they're not the ones. And so I see this thing on social media and just in general, and this is not just, you know, whatever we could take, whatever is happening in the world or country and, and like apply this because it's all, something is always right. happening. 
but they're the ones I feel like we are, for me, it's just a colossal waste of time. It's a colossal waste of time. I, by the time people have heard this one, you probably heard me say this a thousand times. It is a colossal waste of time because you're spending so much time and sitting in that shame and that fear yep. that you are not like, you're not doing anything. Yep. And if we yeah, could support one another yeah. <laughs> and say, okay, maybe, yes. maybe you're not saying this the right way, or maybe you're not doing this the exact way I want you to but you're here, you're showing up. I know you're a person like see the humanity in each of us. You know, yeah. I don't know. There's something here that I'm, I'm wrestling with as well. So yeah, I think some of it can sometimes come from that. Um, like that good girl, that good mother, that good wife, good sister. Like, you know, like sometimes like, am I good enough? I'm not good enough. I, I think sometimes as women, especially because I can only speak to the female experience, obviously, but like that, we're never good enough. We're never doing enough. We're never, our house is never perfect enough. We're not active enough in our community. We're not active enough. We're not whatever. Like well, that's, we're, we have a hard time with being enough. And I think, yeah, and I think sometimes our, you know, like that judgment can sometimes just get involved and really close doors between us instead of just like a curiosity, which can kind of open them. And I think really so much of, um, so much of social media is getting on the soapbox and yelling. And that is not a way to have a conversation. It's not even just about educating people because I feel like I'm highly educated. I read the papers. I'm involved in my community. I'm involved on a larger scale. I don't need to get out of a soapbox and stand on and yell at it and prove to everybody else that I'm these things. Mm. And I think maybe... Maybe it's because I'm in my fifties. I'm just, I'm done proving myself. I did all that shit in my twenties and thirties, mm. you know, with employers, with, with friends, with, with boyfriends, with, I, you know, I was always trying to prove myself. And now I'm just like, I don't really have to prove myself anymore. So mm. I have to prove myself to me. I have to remember that I am good enough that I, I love myself. Yeah. Which comes back to you, your radical self-love. I want to talk about your approach because you use a shame-free approach. Tell me a little bit about that. It's, it, and also tell me about like this, because I know that you're working on something new. You're working on this rise up one-to-one -one coaching. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I, you know, I honestly, just from my journey and my experience, you know, my moving into sobriety was just the thing that set me off on this radical self-acceptance, self-love journey. But I did, it's not the, um, when I start to work with women, it's really just about being curious about what you're putting in your body. Like my, that's how my journey started. Like I was going to go alcohol free for 30 days. And then I did that and then it just kept growing. And I just, I, cause I felt better and better and more confident and I felt clarity and just, I felt so much better because I wasn't putting a toxic substance in my body. <laughs> Funny how that is. Yeah. So the space I create with my, um, one-on-one -on -one coaching is it's just shame-free judgment-free it's taking you where you are I don't have like a checklist of things that we work through because everybody's coming to me in a different place I mean it is about removing alcohol from your life and, and seeing what that's like and bringing a lot of joy back into your life mm. just the things that you um didn't even think you could try or didn't weren't maybe you've always sort of carried that thing in the back of your mind. You're like, yeah, yeah, someday I'll do that. And then that someday never comes. And 
I do a lot of, so, you know, my process is sketchbooking, which is, it's not the sketchbooking you think of when you hear sketchbooking. It's, you know, messy. It's just paint, words, images. Sometimes I play loud music when I'm doing it. Other times it's quiet, you know, like if it's not like taking a sketchbook and, you know, doing a still life with classical music playing in the background. It's this place where you can just be messy, can just experiment, can get out all of those feelings that maybe the alcohol was being that bubble wrap. Now it's removed and now you can pour it out into this safe container, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, And it it becomes that thing instead of, and that was in my own journey is, you know, at five o'clock when you're like, I don't have wine in the house. Like, what am I going to do? You're feeling antsy or yeah. yeah. And so you take your, you know, I would take my sketchbook out instead of the 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 table and, you know, do work on my sketchbook for half an hour or something. And uh, my kids would do do it with me. So that was sort of became a way for us to just sort of connect. So that's one of the tools I use. I have multiple other tools. And this is different than AA because AA, like, I don't know much about it, but I have heard from people who have been in recovery that AA just didn't work for them. These are primarily, I hear it from women primarily. I don't know if that's like a whole thing or if maybe just the people, like it's a selection bias. The people that I'm around are a little bit, they're rule breakers. <laughs> so they're like, I didn't yeah. like how rigid it was. So I went to a few AA meetings and yeah, it wasn't for me. But, you know, every AA group is different. That's It depends on the person who's leading the group, the community it's in, the people that go. Like, it's made up of those people. So, and sometimes that can be anxiety producing if you can't find the right group. Because then I think sometimes that judgment comes on you. Like, what's wrong with me? I can't find the right group. What, you know, what does that say about me? And it's patriarchal. It's misogynistic. I mean, it was founded in the 1920s, if not maybe a bit earlier. There can be a lot of heaviness in that program. For lots of reasons. I mean, you know, when people are dealing with alcohol and drugs and there's, there's trauma, there's, there's all sorts of things. So it can be really heavy and not to say that I paint over all that stuff, but it's, it's also, I think just about bringing some joy into your life and not necessarily digging through all the traumas because sometimes that just doesn't it's just going in that circle, right? So I think sometimes that joy can be that disruptor. Oh, joy is a disruptor. Oh my gosh, yes. Because what are we doing? What are we living for? What are we just to sit in our pain? Because uh, what's what's the point of all that? Yeah, and I think I know I do I do know people who've had great experiences in AA. It, it, it's a thing to try, but it, uh, you know, again, the women that I work with I, are, are not hardcore addicts, and I think they are on that gray area drinking spectrum where it's like, you know, I'm binge drinking every weekend, but you know, through the week, I'm okay. Like, what does that say about me? How do I fit in? They have the 12 steps. Uh, Sobriety is, you know, it's a spiral because you're always kind of coming back to the same place, but you're a little bit different every time you come back to that place. So I think that that can sometimes stunt your growth if it's a a step program, because it's like, okay, I did the 12 steps. Great. I'm healed. I'm ready to go. (laughs) That's not it. Like, because there's always shit that comes up. And um, yeah, like I just had to deal with death and grieving and loss sober, which kind of threw me, even though I've been sober for four years at that point, it was just like, oh, here's a new thing that I haven't gone through without a, a bottle of wine. Just having the tools to help you with no matter where you are kind of in that process helps. Yeah. And I think that, I think, infusing that creativity, that voice, that outlet, that place to be, I don't know, like you don't have to be perfect. 
Yeah. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do the 12 steps perfectly. You don't have to even do this. You don't have to do the sketchbooks perfectly. We, in this conversation, like if people do not agree with what they hear, that is okay. Yeah. Their point is valid. Just like this yeah. point is valid because this is a kaleidoscope, right? Yeah. We all yeah. have like, it, it all comes together and everybody, every point is, you know, valid. So you're really infusing this expression, right? This expression, allowing this to pour out of you things that maybe you were even afraid were in there. Yeah. And I think it's about really, um, you know, there's no right way to do sobriety. And it's really, I think sometimes that word sobriety can really trigger people mm-hmm. because it maybe sets up like that old media image of the alcoholic, what the alcoholic's supposed to look like. But I think that first of all, it's about your health. And it's about just exploring what you're putting in your body. And that's all it means. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be anything more than that. It's the same way you you could be like, hey, you know, maybe sugar is not so good for me. Or, you know, maybe social media like- is not so good for me. Yeah, yeah <laughs> right. Like whatever. It's just you yeah. being like, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. It doesn't have to mean anything beyond that. So I think that that's sort of like that, those labels. I personally love the word sobriety. I see it as a place of strength for me, a place of growth, but I know some people really don't like it. that word sort of freeze them in their tracks almost. And I would just, if you, if that's how you're responding, I would just encourage you to like, why, why does that word get to me? Like, why am I making it mean more than it needs to mean? So yeah, it doesn't have to be such a heavy, enough of life is heavy. This should be empowering about self-love, about self-expression. About, yeah, you know, all of that. Yeah. About unleashing ourselves from this idea of having to be perfect and yeah, say the right thing or show up in a certain way for other people's yeah. comfort or whatever. Yeah. I think there's, there's so much there that is joyful. Yes. <laughs> I do. I look at sobriety. I just like, I, I do often just wonder, of course, you know, you can only live the life you're in, but sometimes I do think of like, God, what if I hadn't quit before the pandemic? Where would I be in my life right now? And I, I, I'm 99% sure I wouldn't be doing the things that I'm doing right now. I think I just would be in such a, a not a, not a great place mentally, emotionally, physically, cognitively, all those things. I mean, alcohol just is the thing that, you know, messes you up so much, but it's such a deep part of our culture, especially especially I think for women that mummy wine culture can be really deadly. You know, when you're at home with a couple of kids under the age of three, yeah, a bottle of wine looks like fun. And then it can turn really uh, dark. So before we end, I have a couple things I want to ask you. Yeah. One, since we were talking about joy and because this has been a heavy conversation because like that's life. Um, yeah. And I love, I love that we're able to, and maybe, maybe this is just who I am, but I love to be able to, move through both, right? Through both the heavy stuff and the lighter stuff, Mm -hmm. because I feel like we need both in order to, I don't know, just squeeze the juice out of life, right? Let's talk about joy. Tell me three things that are bringing you joy. The temperatures outside. I love it. Like I grew up- Oh, you Canadians. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I love it. I love like low thirties. Perfect. I love like that Christmas in the air. So I'm super, that's bringing me a lot of joy. I'm spending a lot of time outside, a lot of hiking, what else is bringing me joy? Reading is bringing me a lot of joy lately. I'm reading for fun again. I, you know, I go through cycles where I read a lot for my work or I read a lot for content. And I've just been bringing some joy back with just 
just fun books. So I really like that. And then um, I'm going to say um, my painting is bringing me joy because practice what you preach is hard sometimes. And some, you know, often painting's the last thing on my list. And I really need to flip that. And I have been the last while. It's become the first thing on my list because if it's not the last thing, I never get to it. So I've been like treating myself and doing that, you know, spending like 20 minutes, half an hour in the morning, just messing around. But that brings me lots of joy. I'm like, why am I denying myself that? It's so oh, easy. It's so it's good. right here. It's not like I have to go anywhere. So those oh, are the wonderful. Oh, that I love. I love that. How can people follow you, work with you? I think what you're doing is amazing and such a healthy approach. Um, but yeah, how can people work with you? How can they find you? How can they connect with you? I mean, so if they want to go onto Instagram, <laughs> the thing that we just crapped all over, <laughs> find me at purple dog sober, but really, so my website, purpledogsober.com, I am working on making that a super rich place for people to go hang out. I publish blog posts every week with you know, really good content. It is very I good. I, I do have to say, because I have been on your site, it has so much uh, wealth there. So yeah. And then, you know, I put videos up occasionally as well. And I, that is sort of my antidote to like stopping the scroll is to just go to my website and lose yourself in my website, read the blog posts, watch the videos. You can also download my, my zine, which is, am I a glary drinker? And it's just, it's a fun, colorful PDF that you get that just, you know, asks you some questions and gives you a few ideas of like some journal prompts. And you can always book a uh, stronger sober session with me, which is free 30 minute. Are we compatible to work together? Kind of a, a thing. It's again, no shame, no judgment, no nothing. Cause I've been there, done that, burnt the t-shirt on all that stuff. So I, I don't judge anybody because I've been there. Mm. So those are the ways you can, can reach out to me. Well, I want to thank you. I also want everybody to know that they can read Christie's brilliance on Jennifer Magazine, jennifermag.com. Go check out her wellness articles. They are so good. All of them feel like an anthem. Like they just feel so much different than, than the other wellness stuff out there. It's not prescriptive. Like yes. it's, it's more about, it It really does feel empowering. It does feel like, you know, an anthem and I, I, I love it. I love it so much. So thank you so much, Christy. I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing so much of yourself. These are not small things. This is like basically everything. So thank you. But it's, it's those things that rattle around in my brain all the time. So it's nice to be in conversation with someone who has the same things rattling around in her brain. Many thanks to Christy for her generosity and realness. You can see why I adore her, right? Speaking of her generosity, Christy has an incredible library of support on her site. Go visit purpledogsober.com. Check it out if you're at all sober curious. There's podcasts, videos, blog posts, all there to help you, all free. You can also book a session with her if you'd like some extra support She also has a downloadable zine about gray area drinking, that's hard to say, uh, which is where so many of us fall. And you can find Christy on Instagram. She She might say she doesn't like it, I hear her, but she is on there and you can always reach out at Purple Dog Sober. 
As for us, you can find us on our site, jennifermag.com, and on Instagram at jennifer underscore magazine. But if you're looking to ditch the endless scroll like I am, which I think we should all do, but that's me, I highly recommend it. Anyway, sign up for our mailing list. If you like this podcast, subscribe, share it with your friends, leave a lovely review. All of these things mean a lot. I know you hear it all the time. But those things really do make a huge difference. And finally, before we go, I have some thanks. I have some thanks. I want to thank the brilliant Carrie M., who edits this podcast. Content is provided by the entire Jennifer Magazine team. Go check out our contributors. They are absolutely incredible. And our social media support is offered by our intern, Ellie Cooper. Finally, I'd like to thank you. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join us again. Bye.